The Mayday Murders is copyright 2005 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. Chapter 22 Anne couldn't help but smile to herself as she caught Jerry glancing down at her legs yet again. A week ago, this would have made her uncomfortable, or perhaps even paranoid. But she realized now how absolutely puritanical it had been of her to get upset over something so trivial, and she knew that Karen, as usual, had been right all along. Men are going to stare at you from time to time, and it's certainly nothing to get all up in arms over. Besides the fact that Jerry Rankin was a gentleman, and someone she could trust, she had also discovered that she actually enjoyed teasing him just a little bit. It was nice having a man admire every once in a while. It made her feel younger and more appreciated. The white-knit mini-dress she was wearing could easily have fit into the fashion scene twenty years ago. In fact, she could recall having one much like it when she was in high school. Jerry had gone bonkers when he had come by to pick her up and first saw her in it, and she realized now that although jeans and a sweater may have been more appropriate for a drive through the country on a chilly fall day, she liked the way the dress made her feel almost like she was a schoolgirl again. "'Are you warm enough?' Jerry asked. "'I can crank up the heat a bit if you'd like.' Anne looked over at him. "'No, I'm fine. The scenery sure is gorgeous, isn't it?' Jerry glanced out the driver's side window and replied, "'It certainly is.' It starts getting much hillier the closer we get to Hawking County. It will be even more breathtaking there. How much longer until then? About twenty minutes or so. Anne stared out the window and sighed to herself. She hadn't felt this content in a long while, and she knew that she had Jerry Rankin to thank for it. After the incident the night before with Larry Underwood, she since wondered how she would ever have handled it if Jerry hadn't been there. If it weren't for him, in fact, the Underwood boy would never have been caught in the first place, and God only knew what else could have happened. But her greatest relief was just knowing that she and Amy were safe now. No more worrying about strange noises out in the yard, or obscene phone calls in the middle of the night. She had already convinced herself that Larry Underwood had been the obscene phone caller, even though he had denied it. After all, it was just a little too coincidental that the call started at around the same time that she had thought she had heard him prowling around the backyard. She also felt that the calls had seemed to be directed at Amy and not herself, because whenever she had answered the phone, the caller had hung up on her once he realized it wasn't Amy on the other end, with the exception of the night Jerry had been over when he had called, that is, and that, Anne believed, had been a fluke, most likely because Larry had mistaken her voice for her daughter's. What a scary young man! she thought to herself with a shiver. She was very proud of Amy right now. She had somehow managed to still have a great time at the dance, in spite of last night's nightmarish incident. Plus, she had come home on time, well, only a half hour late, and it appeared that she had behaved herself as well. She had been intoxicated in a sense, but not from alcohol or drugs. Instead, she appeared to be on a natural emotional high from the apparent good time she'd had with Jason on her very first real date. As it turned out, Jason ended up being a very nice, responsible young man, and Anne was certainly thankful for that. It was amazing, she thought, how everything seemed to be turning around for the better ever since she'd met Jerry. He was always there for her, it seemed, when she really needed someone around, and he knew all the right buttons to push to make her feel appreciated and whole again. Jerry not only respected her, but also seemed to know all the right things that made her tick. Her likes and dislikes, her innermost feelings about certain things, even obscure little things, like his suggestion that they go bowling last night. Although Anne hadn't bowled in over twenty years, Jerry somehow seemed to note she'd enjoy it. It was almost as though he'd known her for years, and yet she'd only just met him a few weeks ago. But what really amazed Anne was the uncanny parallel between the storyline of the romantic novel she had just finished reading and her relationship with Jerry. The heroine in the novel had been so much like herself, forty-ish, recently divorced with a teenage daughter to raise on her own. The heroine had moved into a new town to start over again, and had just happened to run into a tall stranger and began dating him. The heroine had been hesitant at first in pursuing a new relationship, just as she had with Jerry, but things started happening quickly, and before long she had discovered that she was falling in love with him. In all that time, they had remained platonic, until the heroine finally realized that she had put it off long enough. And where, of all places, had they finally ended up making love to each other? None other than the stranger's country retreat, 
talk about coincidences. This didn't mean that she had any intentions whatsoever of going to bed with Jerry today. She was still a very long way from even considering sex with him at this stage of the game. But wasn't it amazing how similar the book had been to her own experiences? She had been so fascinated by the outcome of the book, she was tempted to ask Jerry if he'd ever read it before. But Anne wisely elected not to. She would only have embarrassed him. After all, men don't read romance novels. Look, Anne, Jerry exclaimed, suddenly slowing down the car. Anne looked at where he was pointing off to the side of the road. A deer and her two fawns were scuttling off through the woods. Wow, aren't they beautiful? Anne breathed. They sat and watched as the deer bounded out of sight. That's the second time I've seen deer since we left. The other time was the one I saw lying dead in the road a few miles back, Jerry said. That's so sad. The car sped up again as Jerry floored the accelerator. It's a shame that the poor beasts are so ignorant. When they see a car coming at them, they panic and get quite confused. But if they had just an ounce of intelligence, they'd be able to quickly assess the situation and get the hell out of the way before they got plastered. Jerry, what a horrible thing to say. He looked over at her and pouted like a child who had just been scolded. I'm sorry, Anne. I didn't mean to upset you. I was just being truthful. Wild animals basically are ignorant. Well, I disagree. I think the problem is us. If we didn't build these highways and cars that go so fast, the animals wouldn't be in such danger. They're only trying to survive, and we've made it that much more difficult for them. Jerry shrugged. Okay, I have to agree with you there. I'm actually sorry I ever said anything in the first place. Anne didn't want the afternoon to be ruined over a petty argument. I'm sorry too, Jerry. I shouldn't have lashed out at you like that. I realize now what you're saying. I think. She forced a smile, turned, and looked out the windows again. She realized now that it wasn't so much what Jerry had said, but the way in which he had said it that had irked her. Almost godlike. Something about that troubled her for some reason. It just didn't seem like something Jerry Rankin would say. She felt his hand touch her arm and she turned to face him. I'm truly sorry, Anne. Will you forgive me? His eyes were pleading with her. Anne smiled and replied, I forgive you, Jerry. It's no big deal. Thanks. How about some music? Anne nodded and began skimming through the CDs in the console. She saw a half-dozen titles, all 60s classics. She selected the Mamas and Papas' greatest hits and handed it to Jerry. I really like them, she said. Me too. As California dreaming oozed out of the speakers, Anne sat back and stared out the window, enjoying the autumnal scenery of southeastern Ohio. She noted that the terrain had become hillier, and when they entered Hawking County, the highway wound up and down the foothills. The leaves on the trees were at their peak of color, and it reminded her a lot of the hills surrounding Smithtown. Hawking County was, in fact, mid-distance between Columbus and Smithtown, but further to the east, and she wondered if perhaps these hills were part of the same range that made up the state forest in Smithtown. Before long, Jerry pulled onto a blacktop road that entered the forest region. The scenery along the road was truly spectacular as they meandered through the foothills. The woods were thick with oak, maple, and elm trees, their leaves strikingly rich in color as the slanting shafts of afternoon sun radiated through the branches here and there, showcasing their delicate beauty. Anne and Jerry spoke very little, both content to sit back and enjoy the serene majesty of the wilderness. They had been in the forest for nearly fifteen minutes when Jerry slowed down as they approached an unmarked dirt road that forked off to the left. He pulled onto the road and drove a little way until they came up to a heavy gate blocking the road. Jerry threw the gear shift into park and got out. Is this your driveway? Anne asked. He glanced over and smiled. Guess you could say that. I own this road as well as much of the land beyond. But I thought this was state property. Not any more. We just passed the forest boundary line a quarter of a mile or so back. Anne watched as Jerry stepped over to the gate, took a key from his pocket, and unlocked the padlock. He swung the gate open and returned to the car. I'm impressed already, Anne exclaimed, as Jerry threw the car into gear and drove a few yards past the gate. You ain't seen nothing yet, he grinned slightly, before he got out and locked the gate. How long have you owned this? About six months. There are advantages to being in real estate. I got this place for a steal. They pulled away and drove along the road for a couple of minutes until they approached a clearing. When they emerged from the tree-lined road, Anne gasped. The first thing she saw was an enormous field of recently mowed grass. The field was flanked by lush stands of timber, and near the center and to the right was a huge pond, complete with lily pads and a working fountain. Beyond the pond stood a good-sized A-frame house in the distance on top of a knoll. My lord, this is wonderful, Jerry, 
Thank you. I thought you'd be impressed. Anne stared out of the window in awe as they drove toward the house, unable to believe the beauty and remoteness of Jerry Rankin's country estate. When he had first mentioned it to her, he never let on that it was in any way near as enchanting and expansive as this, and Anne suddenly had the feeling he had done this on purpose, just to ensure that she'd be absolutely floored once she actually saw it. His ploy had worked like a charm. Driving along the pond, Jerry said, it's fully stocked with bass, catfish, and bluegill. I don't suppose you like to fish, do you? Anne grinned. I used to love fishing when I was a little girl. I sort of grew out of it, though, I guess. Maybe you'd like to try it again, see if you still enjoy it, he suggested, eyeing her expectantly. Anne flashed back to the times when she used to go fishing with her father as a child, and a warm wave of nostalgia swept over her. I just may want to do that, she replied with a smile. In another minute, they rounded a curve in the road and pulled up beside the house. Here we are. Anne stepped out and stood for a moment, surveying the surroundings. The A-frame house looked even larger than she had imagined it to be. I never dreamt it would be so gorgeous. You've created your own little island here. I'm glad you like it. Well, let's go inside and I'll show you around. Anne followed them onto the deck and through the front door. The first thing that caught her eye when they entered was the sunken living room that nearly took up the entire east side of the first floor. Straight ahead from her was a large kitchen, and to the right, the dining area, as well as sliding glass doors opening to a solarium, complete with a jacuzzi. To her immediate right was raw space with the exception of a couple of oil paintings hanging on the wall and a spiral staircase leading upstairs. There wasn't a single wall separating any of the interior rooms, and that feature lent a light and airy atmosphere to the place. Well, what do you think so far? Jerry asked. Awesome, was all Ian could say. Come on, he said, taking her by the hand and leading the way into the solarium. After showing her the hot tub, he led her to the staircase. Ian stopped and paused to look at the paintings, surprised to see that they were signed by Jerry Rankin. You didn't tell me you were an artist, she exclaimed as she studied one of the paintings. I've dabbled a bit, he replied modestly. Dabbled? These are really good, Jerry. Thank you. I'm still trying to develop my own style. Believe me, it isn't easy. My instructors all thought I was a little too fond of Picasso. Who cares? How long have you been painting? I took it up while I was in Europe. I used to sketch all the time when I was a kid, and my parents were anything but encouraging. So I decided to take it up more seriously and studied for a few years in Paris. He started moving toward the staircase, and Anne followed behind. Let me show you the upstairs. Jerry waited until Anne reached the landing and said, This used to be just like the first floor, void of any walls dividing up the rooms. But I decided to break it up into separate rooms to make it a bit more functional. Anne nodded and followed him down the hall to the first floor on the left, which was the master bedroom. It was good-sized, tastefully furnished, and offered a nice panorama of the hills through the enormous plate-glass window. Off to the side was a full bath that was shared with the adjacent room. Jerry led her through the bathroom into the next room, which was smaller and totally empty. One of the two spare bedrooms, he explained, as they walked back out into the hallway. They crossed the hall to another room. Jerry opened the door, and Anne let out a gasp. Inside was a miniature equivalent to a fully equipped gym, with every kind of exercise machine and weightlifting apparatus imaginable. I like to keep fit, Jerry smiled. I'll say, Anne replied. Jerry closed the door and led Anne to the last room. This is my study, you might say. The room was every bit as large as the master bedroom and looked like it could be the control room for NASA, with numerous computers and peripherals arranged in clusters on the long counters running along the length of the walls. At the far end, against the window, sat another counter with what appeared to be a ham radio set, along with a vast array of sophisticated-looking diagnostic equipment. Good God, Jerry, what is all of this? Toys, Jerry replied simply. Just a bunch of toys I like to tinker around with. Anne strode over to one of the computers and looked it over. Although she wasn't very familiar with computer hardware, she could tell that this was serious, ultra-expensive equipment. What on earth do you use all this for? Jerry came over and stood beside her. I like to keep in touch with what's going on in the world. It's almost like having the entire world at your fingertips. That's pretty apparent. But why in a country retreat? He looked at her peculiarly. Why not? Anne suddenly felt stupid for asking the question and smiled nervously. Well, I'm certainly impressed. I didn't realize you had so many hobbies, Jerry. I'm surprised you find time to sell real estate. He said quickly, It's not as though I'm here that often. 
But it's nice to come here whenever I can and get away from it all. Isn't that what getting away is all about? Relax and do the things you most enjoy doing? He had a point, and she had to agree. But she also wondered what was left to furnish his home in Dublin. Jerry Rankin's retreat looked more like a permanent residence than a place to just drop in from time to time. When they returned to the hall, Jerry walked over to the staircase and pointed up to where it dead-ended into a hatch-like door set into the ceiling. My studio loft is up there. I'm in the process of renovating it. I'm afraid I'll have to show it to you some other time. That's a shame, Anne said. I'd love to see it. Perhaps next time, he said flatly, before descending the stairs. Anne glanced upward and wondered what renovations Jerry could possibly be doing to his studio that would prevent her from at least getting a quick peek at it. Perhaps he was just sensitive at her seeing his paintings in progress? Possibly. She began descending the stairs and was halfway down when she realized to her horror that Jerry was standing at the bottom staring straight up her skirt. Her face turned red, and Jerry quickly turned away and began making his way to the kitchen. The incident made Anne very nervous, and she wondered if he had been staring at her on purpose or if he had done it inadvertently. Something told her that the former was the case, but she hoped that she was wrong. Surely, she decided, Jerry wouldn't purposely do something that childish. When she joined him in the kitchen, Jerry smiled and said, How about a little stroll through the grounds, if you're not too tired, that is? Anne thought about it a moment. Sure. Why not? Wonderful. And when we get back, I'll prepare us some dinner. Do you by any chance like lobster? Love it, Anne said. I'm glad to hear that because I picked up a pair of fresh ones at the market yesterday, along with a bottle of dry white wine. I toss a pretty mean salad, too. Sounds scrumptious. Anne followed Jerry out the front door and zipped up her jacket when the chilly air greeted her. They began walking down the road toward the pond, and by the time they had reached it, Jerry had taken hold of her hand. For the next half hour or so, they sauntered leisurely around the grounds, talking and taking in the quiet beauty of the autumn foliage. Jerry did most of the talking, telling Anne how much she loved it in the country, and how he could just pack everything in and stay there forever. Anne could almost sense by his subtle hints that he's almost trying to sell her on the place, as if he wouldn't mind it if she could some day join him and live happily ever after here in the middle of nowhere. She remained politely aloof flattered by his little innuendos and wondering at the same time how he could so easily forget that his wife had only recently passed away and how he could already be so fervent to start all over again with someone else by the time they had headed back to the house anne found herself puzzled and a little taken aback by jerry's gradual change in demeanor in the span of just thirty minutes he had somehow become less a casual acquaintance and more like a man with a mission a suitor trying to win her heart she wasn't sure how to respond to all this, and she sensed that at some point Jerry Rankin was going to put her in a compromising position. He seemed to have suddenly forgotten their prior agreement, that she had no intentions of establishing a romantic relationship with him, and that they were only seeing each other on a no-strings basis. Admittedly, she had come to like Jerry Rankin a great deal as a person, and no doubt felt physically attracted to his suave good looks. But she didn't love him, and knew in the back of her mind that she never would. Jerry Rankin was simply a pleasant diversion from her otherwise unsettled life since breaking up with Sam, she now acknowledged, and she wondered how on earth she had let things go this far. How had she let herself go against her better judgment and encouraged Jerry as she had? Karen Whaley. She was one of the reasons. Karen had been Miss Encouragement from day one, caressing her to get on with her life and have some fun. Don't let him slip through your fingers, she had told her in her typical know-it-all tone of voice. And then there was Shelley Hatcher. Wasn't that really why she had started going out with Jerry on a regular basis? Because Sam had started fooling around with Shelley again, and she wanted to somehow get back at her ex-husband? Just as they approached the house, another thought occurred to Anne. The romance novel that she had been reading. This was yet another reason why she had gone so far with this. She had let a silly romance story transform her into some kind of giddy schoolgirl. She quickly glanced down at her white miniskirt and funky Reeboks. Appropriate attire for a forty-year-old woman? Come on, Anne. She wanted to laugh out loud as she realized that she had not only let her waning youth get the best of her, but she had been, in a sense, living vicariously through the heroine of that stupid romance novel all this time. Middle-aged woman gets married, gives birth to child, gets divorced, moves away with the child, meets tall, handsome stranger, has her doubts about love on the rebound, but nevertheless gives it a shot, and eventually allows stranger to seduce her in his country retreat. Jerry suddenly gave her a hand to squeeze as they approached the porch. "'Feeling hungry?' he asked. "'Famished,' 
she heard herself reply with a forced smile. Anne felt a pang of guilt as they walked up to the door. Jerry was probably the most considerate man she had ever met, and the last thing she wanted to do was to hurt him. He had done more for her in the relatively short period of time she had known him than she cared to admit to herself. Not only had he made her feel like a whole person again, but he had been there for her when she needed a man around the house and a shoulder to cry on. Plus, he had helped her to get her mind off Marcia, if only for a little while at a time. As Anne recalled her lifelong friend, she felt a wave of sadness sweep throughout her entire body. She suddenly realized that Jerry had, in a sense, helped to fill that void left after Marcia's death by merely entering her life and giving her something optimistic to look forward to. And, as selfish as it seemed, she had found herself feeling much better after having learned that he, too, had recently lost a loved one, his wife. This discovery had all of a sudden made her feel less alone in the world, and no doubt had helped establish a sort of common denominator between herself and Jerry. Could Jerry Rankin have come along at a better time, she thought? And had he not come along when he had, where would she be now? How could she have dealt with all this turmoil without him? She felt him let go of her hand as he opened the door and held it open for her. As she stepped inside, she realized that she owed Jerry a lot. And although she knew she was going to have to end it between them soon before either of them got into this any deeper, she vowed to herself that she would let him down very gently and very gradually. It was the least she could do. Have a seat, Jerry said when they entered the kitchen. Would you like something to drink? Anne strode over and sat down on one of the stools at the mahogany bar that divided the kitchen from the dining area. A glass of water, if you don't mind. Coming right up, he replied jovially. Jerry went over to one of the cabinets to get a glass, added ice, and filled it with Evian. He handed it to Anne. Thanks. They made small talk as Anne watched Jerry prepare a gourmet lobster dinner. An hour and two glasses of wine later, Anne caught herself staring at Jerry's paintings on the wall again. There was something about them, the composition, the subjects themselves, something that drew her curiosity. She knew that Jerry had noticed her staring over at them more than once, but it was fairly evident that he didn't wish to discuss them, or he would have said something. She wanted to ask him about two of the paintings in particular, although they were obviously abstract in nature. It appeared as though the women in both paintings were being observed by the viewer through an opening, a window in the first canvas, and through a jagged hole of some kind in the second one. Both of these objects constituted the foreground of the paintings, creating the illusion that the women were in the distance, beyond the respective openings. The impassive expression on their faces, and the manner in which they were looking off to the side, suggested that the women were totally unaware that the observer was watching them, as though they were being peeped at. Voyeurism? Anne thought. Was that what Jerry was implying in these paintings? I have a surprise for you, he suddenly announced. Anne flinched. She peered across the table at him. A surprise? He nodded. But before I give it to you, you have to promise me that you'll use it. Tonight. Anne tried to imagine what it could be. What could he possibly give her that she could be using tonight, she wondered. Okay, I promise, she said, playing along. Jerry stood up, smiled at her, then went over to the kitchen pantry and opened the door. A moment later he was back, carrying a gift-wrapped box. Before he handed it to her, he said, Remember... You promised me that you'd use it tonight. I know, Anne said, but you really shouldn't have, Jerry. He smiled again and handed her the box. Anne felt a little embarrassed and uncomfortable as she removed the ribbon and tore off the gift wrap. She cast him a sidelong glance when she opened the box and saw what was inside, a lavender bikini swimsuit. Jerry, you tricked me. How on earth can I possibly use this tonight? He cocked his head in the direction of the jacuzzi. Right out there. But Jerry... Anne protested. You promised, remember? Yes, but I never dreamed. He placed a hand on her shoulder and his expression became serious. Listen, Anne, you don't have to if you don't want to, of course. I'm not really trying to put you on the spot. I honestly thought that you may want to try out the tub tonight, so I bought you the swimsuit as sort of an afterthought. He snickered. I knew you wouldn't do it if you had nothing to wear. Anyway, it's up to you. I'd just like to add that you're not going to believe how relaxing it is out there with that soothing hot water loosening up those taut muscles. It's like heaven. You don't have to give me the hard sell, Jerry. I've been in a hot tub before. Then you know how absolutely marvelous it is. Anne began fidgeting with the swimsuit, still in the box. I'd love to, Jerry, but it's getting late. I told Amy I'd be home by ten o'clock, and she may need me to pick her up at her friend's house if she doesn't decide to spend the night there. Jerry glanced at the wall clock and said, It's only seven now. 
We can hit the tub and have plenty of time to get to your home by ten. Anne thought it over for a minute. All right, you win. She took out the swimsuit and looked it over. It's lovely, Jerry. I hope it fits. Where can I change? Jerry smiled broadly. Up in the bedroom, if you'd like. You won't regret this, I promise. I'll just change down here and get the tub ready in the meantime. Anne couldn't help but smile to herself at Jerry's boyish enthusiasm. He was acting like a little kid who had just gotten that baseball glove he'd won so much for his birthday. Okay, I'll be back in a few minutes, she said, getting up from the table. Once inside Jerry's bedroom, Anne took the swimsuit into the master bath and began removing her clothes. She didn't know if it was the two glasses of wine or her not wanting to disappoint Jerry that prompted her to agree to this rather odd idea. But the more she thought about it, the more she realized that she was actually looking forward to it. It was all quite harmless, really, and besides, she had always been crazy about hot tubs. In fact, she and Sam had owned one, and she used to literally spend hours soaking in it whenever she felt tense or just plain wanted to relax and read a good book. Anne suddenly realized just how much she had missed in all the time since they had sold the house. Anne laid her clothes in a neat pile on the floor and slipped into the suit. It fit perfectly. As she looked in the mirror at her lily-white skin, she suddenly wished she had known she was going to be wearing a bathing suit in October, and she would have paid a visit to the tanning salon. Oh well, she thought. At least the suit did her body justice in the way it was clinging to it perfectly. She marveled at Jerry's taste in choosing the suit. Not only was she fond of lavender, her favorite color, but the suit fit as if it had been custom-tailored for her. Anne straightened up her hair a little and started to leave, but stopped herself, realizing that she was going to feel a bit odd going back downstairs to face Jerry, practically naked. She grabbed a bath towel off the rack and draped it over her shoulders. On the way out of the bedroom, something caught her eye and Anne froze in her tracks. There was a small portion of clothing sticking out from between the sliding closet doors that looked familiar. She went over, slid open the door, and saw the sleeve of the very same jacket Jerry had worn the night before. It was hanging up along with an entire wardrobe of clothing, a wardrobe that seemed just a little too extensive to be stowed away at one's weekend retreat. She quickly rifled through the clothes and recognized two of the shirts she had seen Jerry wear since she had first met him. Something now puzzled her. Why had he spent last night here instead of at his home in Dublin? The jacket all but proved that he had. She slid the door closed. Either Jerry was merely leading her to believe that he spent little time in this fully stocked, fully furnished country hideaway, or he was flat out lying to her. This place not only had the same lived-in feeling that any other full-time residence emanated, but no one in his right mind would store their entire wardrobe at a location that was over an hour and a half drive from where they lived and worked. Did Jerry Rankin even own a home in Dublin? She wondered. She had never once driven by to see his house in all this time. She had never felt any reason to. A thought suddenly occurred to her, and she began feeling foolish. She had phoned Jerry twice, and both times he had answered the phone. The number she had dialed had been the local number he had listed on his business card. Placing a call out here in God's country would most certainly have been a long-distance call, even if he had a phone here. Anne couldn't recall seeing a phone during her grand tour. A cell phone? That would explain some of this. Why was she suddenly being so suspicious of Jerry Rankin? This is ridiculous, she thought. And what difference did it make if he had spent the night here last night? It wasn't any of her business anyway. Anne turned and left the bedroom. When she reached the first floor, she saw Jerry out in the solarium, kneeling down, fiddling with the controls for the hot tub. He was wearing a pair of jockey-style bathing trunks. She slid the door open and stepped out into the solarium. Jerry glanced over at her expectantly. How do you like this suit? Let me see it. Anne smiled bashfully before removing the bath towel from her shoulders. "'It looks wonderful!' Jerry exclaimed, eyeing her from head to toe. "'Lord, Anne, you have one gorgeous body.' Anne wasn't sure why she blushed, but she did. "'Thanks!' She suddenly felt stark naked as she noticed Jerry's eyes scrutinizing her body, something he did without reserve or hesitation. Anne felt the impulse to cover herself up, but managed to stifle it. Jerry shut the door panel and walked over to her. When she saw how tanned and muscular Jerry looked in his brief bathing suit, Anne began feeling a little less self-conscious about her own near-nakedness, but at the same time wished to Christ her skin wasn't so damn bone-white. Jerry reached down and skimmed his hand over the water. Ah, just right. I brought our wine out as well, just in case we get thirsty. It's a little chilly in here, she declared, pouring herself a glass. Jerry followed suit. Normally it isn't this cool in here during the day, 
but once that sun goes down, it gets a bit nippy this time of year. The water's good and warm, though. Anne smiled, took a sip, and looked around. It was dark as pitch outside now, but the solarium was bathed in a warm glow from the tiny track lights mounted strategically along the perimeter of the structure. There was a cozy, almost surreal atmosphere created by the dim lights, the potted tropical plants, and the steady low hum of the motor as it churned the chlorinated water around in the tub. She took another sip and soon felt her longing to soak in the hot tub return. She set her glass down resolutely and eyed Jerry. Let's go in. Jerry nodded and made a gesture for Anne to get in first, which she did. The water was just right as she waded over to one of the seats and eased herself down into the hot, swirling water. It feels wonderful, she gushed. Jerry plopped down beside her. Absolute heaven. This was a great idea, Jerry, Anne declared, leaning her head back and staring at the night sky through the glass ceiling. I had a feeling you would approve. Anne closed her eyes, feeling the warm, pulsating jets of water rushing against her body. She had always enjoyed long baths for as long as she could remember, so soothing and relaxing that sometimes she would actually allow herself to drift off to sleep. She recalled a particular evening while she was in high school that she had actually fallen asleep for a full hour before a noise outside the bathroom window had suddenly awoken her. She had been grateful for the wake-up call because she had had a final to take the following morning and hadn't yet begun studying for it. She heard Jerry stand up and opened her eyes. I'm getting my wine. Would you like yours? Yes, please, she replied, watching the rivulets of water rolling down Jerry's shaved, muscular chest. He winked at her and stepped out, and heard the clinking of glasses as he poured some more wine. Here, he said, handing the glass to her. Thanks. Jerry suddenly placed his hands on her shoulders and faced her. Are you having a good time? She gazed into his smoldering green eyes, which were staring at her imploringly from his handsomely chiseled face. Very nice, she replied. He leaned down and pecked her on the cheek. I'm very happy to hear that. For a fleeting moment, Anne thought he was going to embrace and kiss her again, and she almost wished he had. But instead, he removed his hands, smiled, and eased himself down into the tub. She looked on as Jerry fully submerged himself underwater for a moment, stood up, and ran his hands through his thick blonde hair and sat down beside her. Leaning back, he closed his eyes for a moment and opened them again, staring pensively at the ceiling. Anne could sense that he wanted to tell her something but hadn't yet gotten the nerve to follow through with it. She didn't know why she had this feeling. Maybe it was because of the way he just looked at her a moment ago. He had seemed nervous, tentative, as though he wanted to pour out his heart, but had decided that the moment wasn't yet quite right. The dread she had felt earlier during their stroll of the grounds now returned, and she reminded herself not to do anything that might encourage him. Otherwise, she would find herself in an embarrassing and awkward position. She didn't love Jerry Rankin, and never would in spite of her impulsive urge to be held in his arms a moment ago. This was a physical thing, she told herself, not an emotional one. Jerry wanted more than that. She was almost certain of it now. She leaned her head back and closed her eyes, tuning in on the low hum of the motor and gushing jets of water pulsating against her body. Perhaps, she thought, she was making a mountain out of a molehill. Maybe Jerry wasn't quite as head over heels over her as she thought he was. Maybe she was reading more into this than there actually was. Whatever the case, she decided it would be best to tell Jerry it was time to head back soon. She needs some time to think all this through. She suddenly felt his hands on her shoulders, jerking her from her thoughts. She opened her eyes and saw Jerry standing over her, his expression intense, almost frightening. His eyes were fixed on hers. You startled me, she said nervously. Jerry smiled, but not in a friendly manner. His lips were twisted into a sort of uncomfortable smirk, conveying a forced self-confidence. His grip on her was a little too firm. Let's do it, Anne, he declared. Do what? Get naked. His voice seemed different somehow, not quite as articulate and with a slight hillbilly twang. No, Jerry, what's wrong with you? Anne sputtered, her heart racing in her chest. The intensity in his face waned somewhat. He blinked a couple of times, as if to force himself to maintain his composure. There's nothing wrong with me, Anne. I just want to make love to you. Anne felt his grip on her tighten as he spoke. You're hurting me, Jerry. She grabbed his arms and tried to push him away. He didn't budge. Let go of me. I can't, Anne. Not now. Anne was almost as angry as she was terrified. Jerry, I don't know what your problem is, but I want you to let go of me and take me home now. Do you hear me? He bent down and tried to kiss her. Anne pulled away. No. Please, Anne. Don't turn me down. I don't want to have to hurt you. Anne gaped at him in utter shock. Are you threatening me, Jerry? His eyes were now as cold as steel. 
let's just say that I'm giving you an alternative. We either do it by the book or we do it another way. Anne struggled to free herself, but was powerless against Jerry's strength. The room suddenly seemed to be closing in on her as the cold hard facts sank in that Jerry Rankin was going to rape her, right there, right now. It was like a nightmare, but too real to be a nightmare. How in God's name was this happening? Jerry wrapped his arms around her and started unfastening her bikini top. His face wore a cool, calculating reserve as he spoke. Don't fight it, Anne. You will enjoy this. Anne squirmed and managed to slip through his arms. Her head went under water, and in seconds she surfaced on the other side of the hot tub. In a flash, Rankin waded over in two strides and grabbed her by the ankle as she attempted to climb out. Please, Anne, don't try anything like that again. Do you understand? Before Anne could respond, he said, I don't understand you women. I'm especially disappointed in you, Anne. Why are you fighting it? Take a look at me, Anne. Take a good look. I'm not some ugly asshole of shit for brains now, am I? I'm a hunk, for Christ's sakes, and a hunk with brains, no less. We are supposed to be fucking right now, and you're going to fucking enjoy it. And afterwards, you're going to gaze lovingly into my eyes and tell me that you want to spend the rest of your life with me, because I'm everything that you've ever dreamed of. The book, Anne, you're not following the goddamn script. Get with the program. We've made it this far. Don't fucking let me down. Anne was utterly speechless. Her head was spinning wildly. She couldn't feel anything for a moment. She was absolutely numb and thunderstruck at the same time. What are you talking about, Jerry? He let out a laugh, a sinister guffaw. That stupid fucking romance novel you've been reading for the past three weeks. A second chance for Madeline. I planted it in your house. I knew that you'd read it, of course. My only concern was whether or not you would question where it came from and how it got there. A calculated risk, you might say. But my hunch was right. You assumed that it was Amy's book, and you never even asked her about it. Another good hunch on my part. You can't even communicate with your own daughter, because you're afraid of upsetting the spoiled little brat. You're just as stupid and naive as every other wench in this world, Anne. Had me fooled, I can sure tell you that. And to think of all I've done for you, just to win your heart and jump your bones. Jesus, what does it take for a guy to get laid in this life? Anne's heart was palpitating as she stood there facing him, her wrists nearly crushed by his vice-like grip. Her body trembled in the chilly air of the solarium as she attempted to rationalize what Jerry Rankin was saying. He had planted that book. She had assumed that it was Amy's book. She had read the book and related so well with the character in the story and had been amazed at how similar the storyline followed her relationship with Jerry. He had planted that book, knowing somehow that she would read it. Then he had proceeded to play her like a fiddle, right into his trap. But why? Just so he could rape her? But he hadn't wanted to rape her at first. He had wanted to simply make love to her, to have her willingly and consensually make love to him, by the book, as he'd put it, or the alternative. In fact, he had wanted everything to be by the book, and it had been just that, so far, until now. Jesus, she thought in horror as it suddenly sunk in. Jerry Rankin had set her up from the very beginning. The chance meeting at the supermarket hadn't been a chance meeting at all. Instead, it had been carefully planned out and meticulously executed. He had left a six-pack of coke at the checkout counter, knowing full well that she was going to rush out into the parking lot to give it to him. Or he had at least taken a calculated hunch that she would. You know I can read your mind, Anne, he said, interrupting her thoughts. Right now, you're trying to sort out everything, and you're slowly but surely discovering that you've more or less been had. And right now, you're no doubt probably wondering how I could possibly know so much about you. Like, how did I know you would pick up that book and start reading it, for example? I'll be modest and admit I didn't know for sure that you would. But had you not chosen to read that steamy little romance novel, I would have merely executed an alternate plan instead. You see, there's always a backup plan, Anne. It's absolutely vital in this business. It can make the difference between life and death, in fact. The irony of all of this is that it didn't have to end this way. We could have moved on to greener pastures by now, instead of standing here freezing in this goddamn hot tub, which, by the way, I installed solely for your enjoyment. We could be submerged in this wonderful hot water right now, humping away. But I'm no fool, Anne. I've finally come to grips with reality. You've already told yourself quite some time ago that you don't want me. I wasn't sure of it until today, though. You've eluded yourself into thinking that you're too goddamn good for me, just as all the others have. I thought you'd understand me, Anne, but you don't. You, like all the others, wouldn't know a good thing if it bit you on the ass. He let go of Anne's wrists and stood back from her, flexing his muscles and taking on a bodybuilding pose. Look at me, Anne. Check out this bod. Not an ounce of fat, 
just pure muscle of steel. It's taken me 15 years to get my body in this shape, 15 years of working out tirelessly, methodically, and sticking to a proper diet. What woman wouldn't dream of being screwed by a man with a powerful body like mine? Not too many, is my guess. Jerry stood forward and brought his face a few inches from Anne's. And this mug, Anne, check it out. A pretty damn handsome bloke, eh? Forty years old and hardly a wrinkle. A great head of hair, too. What bitch could possibly resist me, once they've examined the merchandise? What the fuck more could you want? But there you stand, plain as day, telling me that I'm not quite up to your specs. Are you trying to convince me that Sam Middleton is some kind of prize? Ha! That skinny twerp sure ain't getting any offers from Chippendales, now is he? Yet you still want the son of a bitch, don't you? You miss the motherfucker. I can tell by the way you talk to your old buddy Karen on the phone all the time. Judas Priest, Ann, you're fucking blind as a bat. The mention of Sam's name made Ann tense up even more as something suddenly dawned on her. you never seen my ex-husband before. How do you know what Sam looks like? And how, how do you know what I've spoken to Karen about? Rankin chuckled vacantly. There's a lot about me you don't know, Ann. I'm pretty amazing, though, aren't I? Christ, I know more about you than you know about yourself. Makes me almost godlike, doesn't it? Are you sure you don't want to reconsider? Anne's mind was a whir as she thought back. Had she ever shown a picture of Sam to Jerry? No, she had not. The only photo she had was the family portrait in her bedroom. Had Jerry been up there? No, he most certainly had not. And what about Karen? He had never met her. He doesn't know her from the man in the moon. Yet, think, Anne, think. How can I know so much about you when I've only met you a few weeks ago? Could it be that the man you're seeing isn't quite who he appears to be? Could it be that perhaps Jerry Rankin, real estate broker, is really somebody else? A master of surveillance? A master spy? And could it possibly be that he went into your house while you're away, gathering vital information and tapping your phone, listening in on your conversations, and spied on you through your windows while you were innocently going about your business? I mean, how else could I have known all the juicy things that you and your buddy Karen have chatted about? including yours truly, of course. And how about that tart, Shelley Hatcher, who's been fucking your beloved Sam blind? You'd still choose him over me, even though he's been screwing around with someone else, even after he never learned his lesson the first time around. I just can't figure you women out. Anne felt as though she was going to faint. All of a sudden, Jerry grabbed her and began shaking her mercilessly. His face contorted in a maniacal fit of rage. I went to all this time and trouble for you, you bitch. And what do I get in return? Another turndown. You're a big fucking disappointment, Anne. Anne cried out in agony as she felt his hands digging into her flesh. Please, Jerry. Please fucking what? Please let go of me? Please take me home? Why, bitch? Why should I do anything for you? What have you done for me to deserve any mercy? I've done everything for you. All of this. But you haven't given me one goddamn thing in return. He ceased shaking her and looked away for a moment. Then he stared at Anne, his expression softer, feigning compassion. I'm sorry, Anne. I really need to get a handle on this temper of mine. I get a bit irrational when I get angry and I start making mistakes. That's not acceptable, especially in the spy gig. Do forgive me, please. Anne was trembling. She forgot the excruciating pain in her shoulders while she struggled to figure out how she's going to get away from this raging lunatic. She realized that she was totally at his mercy, no matter what, and that her only chance for survival, if only for a few minutes, was to keep silent and do whatever he demanded. She simply had no choice. He brought his hands down, clasped onto hers, smiled like a lover getting ready to propose. "'Why, you're freezing cold, Anne. Let's get in the water,' he said gently. Anne forced a nod, lowered herself down into the steaming, churning water along with Jerry. The warmth seeped into her skin and had a graciously sobering effect. "'There now, that's better,' he breathed softly. Gazing into her eyes, he said, "'Do you know how many times I've longed for this moment, Anne, to be with you like this, holding your hands? Countless. It means a lot more to me than you could ever imagine. A long time ago, I dreamt of a moment just like this, to be with a beautiful woman, intimately, enjoying her beauty, the softness of her skin, and knowing that she wanted me as much as I wanted her.' "'Do you know what I mean?' Anne nodded. "'But I never had much luck making that dream materialize. "'Women have never been able to understand me for some reason. "'But you, Anne, you seem different ever since the first time I ever laid eyes on you. "'Yes, I admit it now. "'I lied about my once having a wife. "'I was trying to make you feel sorry for me. "'Do you forgive me?' Anne nodded again. 
A guy gets lonely sometimes. He needs a release, a break from all of the frustration. That's what this is all about, Anne. I need a release, a little female accompaniment that's not forced, voluntary. I really don't want to hurt you. I just want you to play along, to let me realize that dream, if only for just a few moments. Do you think you could do that for me, Anne? Although her head was reeling, Anne managed to appear relatively calm. What was her alternative, she thought, if she didn't play along? She stared into his eyes and pretended that Jerry Rankin was still the tall, dark stranger she had thought him to be. Yes, I can, she replied. His eyes lit up. He looked like an adolescent who had just gotten the go-ahead to kiss his first girl ever. He let go of her hands and reached around her back. Anne clenched her teeth as she felt him unfasten her top, then watched hopelessly as it fell into the swirling water. He smiled nervously again, like a schoolboy who had just scored his first adolescent victory, and was immediately reminded of the first and only awkward kiss he had given her on their date that Friday night. He brought his hands around and gingerly cupped her breasts. Even in the weak light, Anne could see the tiny beads of sweat forming on his brow as he merely stood there for a full minute, fondling. Anne had the impulse to run, but thought better of it. She would have to wait. God, they're soft, Anne, and firm, he gasped, nearly choking on his own words. Please stand up, Anne. I want to see them. It was difficult to compose herself as she stood up. Jerry removed his hands from her breasts and stared at them in utter fascination, as if he'd never seen a woman's breasts before. Anne was so taken aback by his childish behavior that she nearly broke out laughing. He was just like a little kid in a candy shop. Anne ever so subtly began inching her way slowly toward the other side of the tub, praying that he wouldn't notice. He cupped her breasts again, brought his head down and kissed one of her nipples, as one would approach a spoonful of hot soup. I'm getting really excited here, Anne. I never knew it could be this good. Anne took a gamble. Are you ready to make love to me, Jerry? He paused and thought for a moment. God, I don't know. I don't know if I can wait any longer. It's so different. You're so different. I'm so used to a woman whining at me. Don't do that, please. And fighting me off. Jesus, Anne, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I think I'm going to pop my fucking cork. We're fucking made for each other, don't you think? Jerry had grasped her breasts again and had noticed that Anne had ever so gradually led them to the other side of the tub. Anne stared down at him, in awe and contempt, Jerry Rankin's eyes gaping at her boobs as if he were examining a rare architectural find. He suddenly whisked one of his hands away and crammed it down into his trunks. He was playing with himself. He glanced at Anne with a hideous, apologetic smirk, just as Anne snatched up the wine glass and smacked it into his cheek with all the force she could muster. For a split second, Jerry Rankin merely stared at her dumbfounded, not certain of what had just happened. Blood gushed out from a deep gash near his temple and streamed down his right cheek. Anne sprang up and out of the water. She instantly realized in horror that her only escape was back through the house. There was no escape to the outside. Come back here, you fucking bitch, she heard him scream. She bounded across the solarium to the door and bolted into the house. She spotted the front door and made a beeline for it, the living room carpet feeling soft and warm beneath her bare feet. When she reached the door, she turned the knob and pulled, but the door wouldn't budge. In a hysterical panic, she fumbled with the latch, unlocked it, and pulled again. The door refused to move. Anne could hear Jerry cursing at her and the sound of splashing water as he climbed out of the tub just as she spied the keyhole for the deadbolt. He had locked the door from the inside and taken the key. She was trapped inside the house. There were no other doors. Jerry bolted into the living room and sprinted toward her. Anne darted over to the spiral staircase and stubbed her toe as she scampered up the wrought iron stairs toward the second floor. She glanced down in terror as she eyed Rankin, racing up toward her, holding a bloody towel against the side of his head. Anne stood frozen on the landing, uncertain of what to do next. Rankin was halfway up the stairway by now, a sinister grin on his face, and eyes that meant murder. Anne glanced further up the staircase at the hatch leading to the loft, and knew she had no choice but to ascend the stairs further and pray she could get through the hatch before Jerry Rankin caught up with her. Anne bounded up the stairs, taking two at a time, reaching the top, pushed with all her might on the hatch door, using both hands and left shoulder. The door was incredibly heavy, but finally gave way with a creaking twang of springs. Anne suddenly felt a hand snatch her by the ankle. She glanced down at Rankin and saw that he had reached through the stairs and grabbed her. 
She screamed and jerked her ankle away from his clasped hand as a sudden jolt of adrenaline kicked in, then managed to climb up the rest of the way into the loft. It was pitch dark. She grabbed the edge of the hatch door and slammed it shut, just as Rankin reached the top. Anne could see the faint outline of the door where light shone through the edges and hopped onto it, praying that Rankin would be unable to force it open. As she felt the door pressing upward against her weight, Anne groped around the darkness for a latch of some kind to secure the door. "'Open this fucking door, bitch!' Rankin screamed in a rage. His voice sounded different for some reason, so different that Anne actually wondered if it were really Jerry Rankin on the other side of the door. With her heart nearly bursting out of her chest, Anne scraped along the edge of the door with her fingers like a blind person who had just dropped his last penny on the floor. Suddenly she felt something cold and hard. She traced her fingers along it. A latch! She grasped the nub of the bolt and slid it home, tearing a pair of her fingernails in the process. She was safe, at least for the moment. She heard Jerry's muffled profanities through the thick door as he pounded on it repeatedly with his fists. Anne could smell the pungent odors of paint thinner and linseed oil as she stood up and looked around the dark room. Her eyes eventually adjusted to the weak light somewhat as she noticed several rectangular shapes silhouetted against a large window. His paintings, she thought. She could just make out the vaulted ceiling as she recalled seeing a small balcony jut out from the third floor of the A-frame during their tour. Maybe that could be her ticket to escape. She felt totally disoriented in her panicked state in the darkness. She needed some light. Once she could see, she would head for the balcony and pray that she could get away from Jerry Rankin. For more information about the Mayday Murders and other books by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. Thanks for listening.